Welcome into this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams. This week, we are joined by Brandel Chambly, and it's not because he's getting ready to be joining us, but it's because it's the truth. He is one of the most polarizing voices in the game of golf, and I also think one of the most important voices because he had his earnestness about the way he goes about his job. He's got a righteousness about his opinions, uh, and they are backed up with data that is literally reams and reams of paper. I've had the pleasure of working with him, working around him, uh, and he's unmatched in terms of how he gets himself ready to do his job, and that is to call it like he sees it, to analyze the game of golf, not only the execution, but the game plan of the best players in the world. So I am very pleased uh, to bring him on for this Five Club conversation. He is the lead analyst on the studio side. And like I said, one of the key voices in the game of golf, and that is Brandel Chambly. Senator, uh, how are you, my friend? Oh, great! Thank you, Gary. It's uh, it's so good to talk to you. Uh, really is. Uh, I, I love hearing your your thoughts, and it's it's you always. Well, I was talking about this the other night with my friend Eamon Lynch, my my frenemy, Eamon Lynch, uh, and mine too. When 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 we do shows with you, and Eamon said the same thing. He goes, you know, when I do shows with Gary, he goes, I have to work harder. He goes, because I know he's going to keep asking questions. He doesn't just have questions, ask them to move on. Like, you'll say something, you go, hold on a second. What do you mean by that? And he's like, you do. You make people work harder to keep up with you. So always a pleasure. My mom would say the same thing when I was a kid. I'd say, but why? Why is the greatest <laughs> question? And you can extrapolate why to infinity. Yeah, you can. Ultimately, <laughs> it ends up with, because I said so. <laughs> Which is a great which way to... I, which I often say to Amy. <laughs> Let's, because uh, I said so. Exactly. That's a great way to get him to please be quiet. Um, you know, this year was was really interesting. And look, all the years in the game of golf, because there's so much, there's so much texture, depending on what aspect of the game that you want to focus on. But if I said to you, the story of the year in golf is what? What, what would be your answer? Tiger in the in the ditch yeah. in California in February. I mean, it, it 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 framed the the debate and the talking points all year long, and and I think it uh, it piqued everybody's interest. I mean, when you saw the the wreck in the bottom of that canyon, the first thought was, is he alive? I don't see how he could be alive. Uh, I, I remember it obviously very well. I was uh, I had arranged to have lunch with my kids. They were all meeting me at a at a spot, I try very hard when I'm off to just disconnect and 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 be with my kids because I'm gone so much. I sat down, my kids sat down, and I, and I said, "Kids, I'm so sorry. I gotta I gotta go sit in the car and do this interview. Order me this, you know." And uh, I hadn't yet seen the pictures. Uh, our mutual friend uh, liaison does everything at the Golf Channel. Courtney Holt mm -hmm. had texted me, "Listen, man, we got to get on the air." And when I saw the wreckage, I thought, "Well." How do, how do you survive that? And then, of course, as the details came in, it sounded like he was going to lose a limb, lose his leg. Um, and then all year long, the, you know, the question, the first question I got asked in 
almost every single interview I did was, do you think he'll ever play again? And of course, none of us would have any way of answering that question with any accuracy. We're all, you know, guessing. Uh, but anyway, it, it still, you know, I think leads the conversation and, 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 you know, we're going into the father son or the PNC now as it's called. Uh, and, and I think the whole golf world is, uh, is pretty darn happy to, uh, to see that he's going to be at least back in some semblance as, as a golfer. Uh, and there's a chance that he'll pick up and be able to play some, some events. You, uh, you're going to be there. Um, and, and what happens, and this has happened with you over the last really decade because he's had these interruptions uh, followed by these, these, these long breaks in the game. And then he puts out very specific material. And usually it, it may be a swing. It may be a couple of swings. And then you're required the obligatory analysis of these swings. How are you going to try to digest what you see from him this coming weekend? Well, I don't think his, you know, once he became sort of the custodian of his own talent, quit listening to other people, um, his golf swing really hasn't changed that much. It's become very orthodox, uh, you know, almost without any idiosyncrasy at all to it. Uh, you know, it was always in a state of flux. It was, and we can, you know, quickly, you know, cross the line and shut when he first came out to beautiful, but unbelievably powerful in 2000 with all that speed, uh, bowed wrist and laid off 2005 to 2009, but with all that success, still the speed was there and then sort of sucked the club to the inside under Foley, began to cross the line, wasn't anywhere near as good, you certainly thought, but he became number one. So it was always in a state of flux. So I was always being asked, why would he change? What's what's the benefit of this swing? What's the what's the downfall of this swing? But, but beginning in, I don't know, when, when did he jettison Como? Uh, it would have been two, 2017 end of when he played the hero. Yeah. He came out and the golf swing really hasn't changed much. Uh, it's, it's been beautiful to watch. And he has been uh, at times a pretty darn good. When he won Zozo, his last win, he was, oh. he was, he, it was a clinic. Um, so I, you know, how I, you know, look, I, I love his golf swing. I think it's one of the best golf swings of all time. You know, um, you could say that three or four iterations of his golf swing are the best golf swings of all time, you know, pick one. Uh, he's like a wine. It depends on the year when you start talking about tiger. And, uh, but this golf swing is, is, is beautiful. And I, I watched it when I was covering the hero. Uh, he was, I knew he was going to play the PNC because he had these large basket of balls out there or whatever, but uh, I couldn't believe how fluid it was, how long it was. It didn't have, you know, Tiger Woods speed, but his speed had already decayed by the time he crashed. It was already down to 114, you know, 114, 115 miles an hour when he crashed. So I didn't expect him to, to come back, even if he does come back with any, any great speed, he's going to have to plot his way around the golf course. He well, highly unlikely he'll be able to dominate par fives with power. Why, uh, why is it that nobody has been able to do a reasonable impersonation or even try of his golf swing? Seriously, Randall, man, yet every, every great player through the years, and particularly now with social media, we have these people who actually do really good facsimiles of, of various historic golf swings or present day. Nobody has, has even tried to impersonate his swing. Why? It's so funny you just asked that question. Uh, where was I last week? Where the heck was I? I was 
I was, I was covering the hero for crying out loud. I was covering the hero. And Rich Lerner and I talked about this very thing. I said, look, you can't imitate a swing because there's nothing idiosyncratic about it. It's utterly conventional. He doesn't even waggle really. Once he puts his hands on the club, they don't really move around much. Once he gets over the ball, it's, there's no tension. There's no weirdness to it. There's nothing that catches your eye. You, 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 there's nothing about it that's, that's not beautiful and conventional. If you look at, you could do Jack, you turn the head and fly the right arm and sort of reverse C, you do Arnold, you could do Watson, you do Seve, you do Lanny, you do Corey Pavin, you name it, you could do them. But look, nobody imitates <coughs> Adam Scott. No. Nobody, nobody imitates uh, Charles Schwartzel. Nobody imitates Louis Oosthuizen. Nobody, you can't imitate these swings that are, they're too doggone good. And you would look <laughs> foolish trying to, because if we could swing like that, we all would. Like I can, I can swing like Corey Payment. I used to do a really good Corey Payment <laughs> imitation. I could do a really good Lanny imitation. I love doing Lanny uh, because they give you so much. You know, they're they're sort of caricatures. Uh, Tiger. No, you wouldn't dare do it because you'd look like an idiot because you couldn't. If I could swing like Tiger, I'd be doing it. You know, I wouldn't be doing the imitation. I'd be out there every day trying to do it. Do you um, do you think and, and this is something that you've talked about through the years about his his desire to pursue something different and whether it's it's more perfect or, or whatever the motivation was that that it is deprived him of of certain levels of production. But but in that is that all of these roadblocks he's faced has provided him with motivation uh, to come back and do more. Um, do, what do you think the motivation is now? He's going to be 46 in a week and a half. What's the motivation? I would imagine it's, it's getting to 83 wins and being outright all-time leader of PGA Tour wins. I would imagine. I would imagine he probably, depending upon... Yeah, you know how you are you've played enough competitive golf and you're good enough where the minute you start hitting it solid you start you start imagining even greater success you're like oh gosh i can i can get this done i can win the next thing you know it's like where could he win well augusta national has been um you know it's been a place where players go in there long in the tooth and do quite well uh, you know you can get around there so so I would imagine his goals, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not normal, you know, I mean, he, no. he probably thinks he can win another two or three majors. If he's got any semblance of golf game, he probably thinks he can, you know, I would say, look, you know, from a, it's Tiger Woods. So um, you'd hesitate to say he can't do something, but you know, he's 46 when he comes back and plays in the, in the masters. Uh, if he comes back and plays, he'll be 46 and he'll be banged up and, he said that the doctors, he said this last week at Hero, that the doctors would be more concerned about his back than his leg. And he had said all along, he didn't really know the life expectancy of this spew, of this uh, spinal fusion. Um, so, you know, he's got a lot of hurdles to get over. But to 83, it seems like his right place to be the outright leader of all time in PGA Tour wins, you know. And I, I've all, you, you, we've gone back and forth on this and, Look, if he had never changed his golf swing, I, you can easily say he'd won 100 times and 25 majors. But then there is the other side of that argument that it was him tearing down and building back up these golf swings that kept him interested and made him who he was. I've heard that side of argument, and I think I think there's legitimacy to that. 
Um, but you know, the numbers themselves are just too tempting to look at and go, gosh, if he hadn't changed his swing in 97 in the summer, right. he wouldn't have had a lackluster 98 and a lackluster beginning to 99. If he hadn't changed his swing in 2002, he wouldn't have played so lackluster in three and four. Now I say lackluster, it's lackluster compared to his <laughs> winning percentages of those. But, but hey, has there ever? I started doing TV in 2003, came to Golf Channel in 2004. So the entire time I've done TV, I've been talking about Tiger's changes. And this is, and you were, you were always very gracious with me. You'd say, because everybody loved to try to categorize me or pigeonhole me as a Tiger critic. I never was, but I was always talking about his golf swing being changed. So it, it certainly sounded like I was Tiger critic, but I, I just thought it was bizarre that somebody would change the greatest golf swing in the history of the game that won four majors by wide margins and won an unbelievable clip. Why would anybody change that? But on the flip side of that, it was one of the most interesting things to watch and to talk about, not just as a commentator, but as a spectator. Well, you've, yeah, look, you've studied a, a lot of historic figures, read about them. Um, there's a lot, you know, genius can be ugly. And, and there yeah. is, and I mean that not only in terms of, you know, the, the, the mental side of things, the psychological uh, side of things. There's a great book called The Perfect Mind, uh, and it's written by a psychiatrist about whether it be Churchill or, or JFK or Gandhi, uh, and that, that there's a lot of elements of genius, but it is also coupled uh, with whether it be bipolar, depression, right. anxiety, um, and right. I'm not suggesting that he has any of those particular things, but he's a genius. In my mind, he's a, he's a, he's a golfing genius. Um, and I think at times genius can be ugly. Um, is there anybody in the game today who has elements of genius? <sighs> elements of genius? Uh, certainly not like Tiger. No. Um, no, I mean, we'll never, you know, I mean... No, we'll never see anything like him again. I've never seen anything like him. I mean, Bobby Jones, I, I suppose you could say, and um, you know, Jack Nicholas had a genius for golf, um, but no, in in golf today, um, you know, I thought Lydia Ko had it, yeah, um, for sure, and you might say that Jin Young Ko has it. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. I thought Michelle Wee had it. Uh, on the men's side, when I think about that kind of genius, no. I mean, it just, you know, by definition, genius is extremely rare. Yeah. It doesn't come along very often. Uh, you know, people would say Sebi was a genius. Uh, and I, I, I'd go that way. But Sebi, unfortunately, started listening to other people and lost his way. Uh, and he lost the thing that made him a genius. And I always thought, you know, Tiger ran that danger listening to so many people. But Tiger, you know, kept his own counsel more than I think people give him credit for. That swing that he had in 2000 was his making, not Butch's. He, he finished the 97 Masters and came into the Golf Channel because there was no YouTube. And he did you know, yeah. back then. It was, the only place you could go, go get it was Golf Channel. They had it. And he sat there and he came out with a notepad full of changes that he wanted to make. He let Butch be his eyes when he made those changes, but those were his design. Um, you know, and, and just to underscore his genius, uh, I was talking to the, 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 the whole crew at TaylorMade. Yep. And Tiger was out testing some clubs, but he was just hitting, as he was waiting to do some video or whatever, he was just hitting seven irons. 
And he was hitting high little soft draws and high little soft cuts to a pin that was like a hundred yards away with a seven iron. And Tiger would have hit a seven iron 180 yards or 170 yards, but he, these were a hundred yards and they were landing on the green and backing up. <laughs> Which I don't, I mean, I, come on. I was like, what? No, they weren't. He goes, no, no, no. They were landing on the green and backing up and they were backing up all around the hole. They were coming in from the right side and the left side. And, and after a while they were, they had to stop. They were like, oh, whoa, this is like the craziest thing we've ever seen. What the hell are you doing? How do you do that? And they said, Tiger just looked at his hands. He goes, I don't know. It's just in my hands. And, and you know, how you go back and you look at those shots that he hits, and you're like, how else could he do that? And who else is capable of producing anything like that, any semblance of that? Um, you know, and, and after Tiger came along, understandably, every enthusiastic parent had read about Tiger's life and they thought, all right, I'm and every enthusiastic young kid read about his life thought, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this, and it's going to give me this. And, and it's like, no, no, you give, and this is where genius is, is so compelling and amazing. It's like you give the same experiences to somebody that Hamlet had, or Hamlet, Shakespeare had growing up, and they yeah. don't write Hamlet. You know, it's, it's, it's not if you do this, this, and this, you're going to get this. It's just, that's just who Tiger was. He, he has some uh, bizarre ability, uh, unbelievably rare ability to focus his mind on the task at hand and then the ability to pull it off and, and sort of shape his, self, shape his body to the lay of the land and match his body chemistry to the moment and, and, uh, and pull that off. There's nobody in golf like that today. Nobody. No, not it, Justin Johnson, not Justin Thomas, uh, not John Rahm. And it's no, it's no knock no. on them. Uh, it's, you know, they're, it just, it just doesn't come along very often. No, it, you know, I, I was lucky enough. It was uh, the fall of 2015 and I, I sat down with Palmer player, Nicholas and Trevino, um, at, at the Greenbrier and, yeah. and, one of the things we were talking about was, you know, um, the edge, because there was a there was a wonderful story that Michael Bamberger had in in a book that he had written going to see Palmer, uh, and Mike Donald was with him, and Mike was kind of like his his attaché the whole yeah. the whole time he was writing that book, which I thought was great. It was a good element yeah. to the book, but Palmer, you know, said to them, you know, after 1960, I I lost my edge because he got he got that U.S. Open at Cherry Hills. But one of the things that they were talking about was how how players said that he he did and he did, meaning that Palmer and Trevino loved playing more than than player and Nicholas did. He said those two loved it more than we loved it, um, which was interesting. And, and it, it, you know, and I get it, I get it. But when you look at today's player, who do you think that there's an unbridled joy? In, 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 in playing, but, but you combine that with this sense of playing with a referendum, because I, I don't know how much joy, I think Tiger got joy from, from terminating people. I don't know, that, and, and he got delighted by hitting shots that others weren't capable of, um, but he did play broke. But who plays with joy? Now? Yeah, that's a great point. I think Justin Thomas plays with joy. He looks like he's, in a, uh, he's competing um, for the pure joy of it. I think John Rahm, uh, mm -hmm. plays with joy i mean you know who wouldn't who wouldn't enjoy that but there is <laughs> there, right yeah, like, like him. but there is an element of um 
of joy that is palpable when they play golf. Uh, I don't, I don't see them going through the motions. Um, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I mean, you, will we ever find anybody that loves golf like like Arnold Palmer? I, I don't, I don't know that. Uh, there's never been anybody that loved golf like him. But I, uh, <clears throat> you know, you, you go back to genius real quick. There's a video out. I'm sure you've seen it of Lee Trevino where he's talking about yes parallel with uh, Goodwill Hunting and. Uh, you know, Goodwill Hunting, uh, Matt Damon, played by Matt, um, uh, Matt Damon. Uh, and he talks about his character, obviously, Will, talks about having, he could just do it, you know? He could just, he could always just play when he looked at numbers. And Lee said, I was like that. And, and you know, if you go back and you, and, you know, you look at Lee's career, um, you know, he played it, he played one tournament in New Orleans, the one where he went the whole week without making a bogey and won, he won by eight. Uh, that week, he said he never watched one shot after it. He never watched, he never looked at a shot. He hit him and he just started walking, but never watched the shot. He was hitting it so good, he didn't even need to look where it went. And, uh, you know, it sounded like hyperbole, but there's video of him attached to those comments. It's a USGA video where he says that. And then they went back and found video of him hitting these shots. And sure enough, you can see him, he hits these shots and he just starts walking. Uh, and he wins by eight. And, and, you know, I think, you know, perhaps he did have a genius in his hands. Maybe, uh, maybe Byron Nelson had that. Um, but, uh, but no, um, Tiger had it. And, and, and as far as joy, you know, I, I grew up loving golf. I mean, I, I went to bed every night thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it. I'd never stopped thinking about it during the day, but somewhere along the way, when you become a professional, and you realize, you know, you're, you're missing so much at home. Uh, and, you know, I thought, God, why didn't nobody stop me when I was growing up and mm. say, hold on a second. Do you really want to do this? You're going to be gone all the time. Um, <clears throat> and the joy went out of it for me. And that's why I went into TV. I yeah. thought, you know, I, I don't want to be gone all the time. I don't want to be absent all the time. I want to have friends. I want to go to games. I want to, I want to have a life. You don't have a life when you're a professional golfer because it's a sport. There are people ready to take your place if your game falls off. So you're always working on your body. You're always working on your mind and you're always working on your golf game. <clears throat> and I guess that's what makes Jack Nicklaus so amazing is that he had balance in his life. He was that good. Uh, <clears throat> I wasn't, I was a very good golfer, but I certainly wasn't good enough to take time off. I needed to sharpen the knife all the time. And uh, the joy went out of it for me. It's like, you know, I, I don't like grinding myself to a pulp 24 hours a day. I, I want to enjoy my life. Uh, and I don't see that. I don't see that in Justin Thomas. I don't see the joy going out. Because as soon as expectations become so great, when a player achieves something, that's amazing. Well, it always, it always comes with these, unfortunately, it comes with, the burden of great expectations. Yeah. And, and not that many players deal that well, you know, like I think Rory hasn't dealt that well with the expectations that the world has heaped upon him after he came out and won. I mean, he's, he's, he's dealt beautifully in his life. Yes. I, it, from all appearances, it seems like he has the most amazing life and he is a, he's the living embodiment of <clears throat> what we envision Arnold Palmer to be, at least in my view, he's, he's, one of not the most amazing person in golf from in that regard, but I feel like the expectations the world has heaped on him for golf 
has been a difficult thing and, and, and that's quite understandable. Uh, it becomes more of a burden or it seems like it does. I don't know if Rory would agree with that or not, but yeah, it seems like it would. You know, he is, you know, you had mentioned Eamon's name at the top and I had this, it's, it's always a good conversation. It can be dicey because you're kind of psychoanalyzing uh, people. But I, I had this conversation about Rory with Eamon and, and, and Jaime Diaz um, and I, I'm not sure what exactly it is. And, and you can talk to about some of the physical things and, and the technical part of, of his, you know, when you get inside 150 yards and he's not as efficient as he should be. Um, but, but I think that you have a point. I, and I, you know, if it's, if it's a combination of expectations, also maybe thinking for a, a, maybe two thirds of your life so far, he's 32 years old that you wanted, your identity was wrapped up in golf, and then he's realized as he's evolved and got married and had a child uh, with a curious mind that he's not a, he doesn't want to be identified as a golfer. Right. He wants to be identified as somebody who's got, you know, got depth and breadth of, right. of who he is. And, and what effect does that have on performance? I mean, how can somebody who, who really is so prepared like you are with quantitative data and context to support positions – how do you explain him? <clears throat> well, it's easy to understand uh, him wanting to change his golf swing. You know, yeah. that's, you know, that's, that's easy. You know, everybody's always tinkering it, but now you have this YouTube, this library of Congress in front of you at your disposal and you can go in there and you can, you can, well, you can educate yourself for sure, but you can also go down these rabbit holes. And I think he is a curious, has a curious mind. He wants to know, you listen to him talk and he's knowledgeable on political subjects, social dilemmas, uh, you name it. Uh, he has that breadth, but I have no doubt that he's as much of a swing geek as I am. I have no doubt. And, and the fact that he is so unbelievably athletic uh, from a, well, from a movement, from a proprioceptor standpoint, he can do anything. And, and so I'm sure he's looked at his swing and think, well, why don't I try this? Why don't I try that? Why don't I try that? And, and I have, I often say that it is more important to feel than to know in golf at the mm. highest level. Like you, you, you really don't need to know. It's not his job to teach. So he doesn't need to know everything about the golf. Swing. He just needs to know what it feels like when he plays his best golf. And, and it's hard once you abandon those fields to ever find your way back home. <clears throat> I've heard him say something along the lines of, you know, cause people will say, and I think it irritates him when people say, well, if you swung like you did in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, boom, you're back. I think he, he's like, well, it's not that easy. I don't, I don't think he can just go back to that golf swing. It looks like he could, but I just don't think he can. I mean, there's, there are night and day differences where he is at the top now and where he was then. And, and I, I think that's a big part of the reason why he just hit his irons better then. Um, but at the same point, like Tiger Woods, you know, Tiger changed his swing and maybe it wasn't as good for periods. It was still the best there was. I mean, Rory won the Varden Trophy in 2019, won the players in 2019. Yeah. You know, he still does amazing things. He just, the years tick by though. It's been going to be eight years since he won a major, I mean, sneaking up on eight years since he won a major championship and he's in the prime of his career and the door closes fast from a physiological standpoint. So, you know, I look at Rory, I look at him completely different. Now. I look at him as, uh, I think, the most polished man in golf. 
the most appropriate man in golf. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about Arnold Palmer all the time, and, and rightly so. Arnold Palmer was certainly gracious and made you feel like you were special when you're in his company. But <clears throat> I think, and not that Arnold wasn't this way, but Jack Nicholas always seemed, and this is going to maybe not have the right intensity to it, but appropriate. Jack was always appropriate. In the media center, he, he would listen to questions and understand that the person asking it was in that room because A, they were good at their job, but B, because they had, they give thought to what they're doing and he would give an appropriate response, try to. And Rory does that in the media center. He gives, he tries to give an appropriate response, an honest response, a thoughtful response. And I, I love that about him. Um, and, and I love the fact that he can talk outside of golf. I just, I love that about him. That may not necessarily help us golf, but I it's certainly, I have no doubt. And I mean, I'm friendly with Rory and, and I would like to think we're friends, but um, I'm certainly not in his world. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have no doubt that it makes him a great friend uh, and a great father and a great husband, and uh, just a great citizen. Uh, and, you know, is that more important than great golf? It is, it is if you're in his world, you know, it's, he's, he can affect a whole lot more people in a positive manner by being a great human being than he can by being a great golfer. He entertains people with his golf, but he makes people better by being a better human being. And, and you know, that, that echoes that, that, that circles upwards. You make your, your kids' lives better, their friends' lives better, your wife's life better. And it, it is, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's more important to be a, a great person than it is to be a great golfer. And I think Rory realizes that. And that's, I've asked, I've done a few interviews with Rory where I asked him that question, how you bridge this gap between the sort of arrogance it takes to be the best player in the world and humility it takes to be a great person. And, and he, you know, he spoke about balance. He spoke about Jack Nicklaus in that regard. And even Jack Nicklaus recently in an interview, I saw it somewhere on social media, where Jack said, look, you have to be selfish to be a great golfer. But I think Jack was great at, at turning that off. Like the second he left the golf course, he could turn that selfishness off and become a father, friend, a husband. Uh, and, and that's tough to do. Yeah. Uh, that's tough to do. But I think Rory does it as well as anybody. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, look, if, if he gets to a point where he doesn't win the Masters, will he lament not winning it? Sure. Um, not winning more major championships. Uh, will there be a level of disappointment? Yeah, but it won't. It, it's not going to break him. And I right. do think, Randall, that this game, um, and I think that there are documentaries to be made about how this game, because of the dynamic of doing it alone and my father, my father, you know, he, he played baseball at a, at a high collegiate level, but he also, you know, had a career where he was, he was, you know, responsible for the advancement of a lot of people in a corporation. And, and the thing that he told me when I got to an age where I could understand it, he said, Gary, there's nothing, there, there are very few things more rewarding than collective achievement. Now as a golfer, you can say you've got a team, but at the end of the day, you did it. You did it. And it's great to share it with the people who supported you. But my point is, when you don't win, you, you spend so much time wondering why, why you, you didn't. And you can't, you can't find comfort in teammates when you lose. 
uh, and particularly if there's a dubious moment or a particular tactical error or, or you know, a physical mistake that you made because the, the pressure was too great. And I think the game can break people. Um, and, and whether it, it, it be because of what your expectations were and they're not met, whether it be because of injury or, or just performance. Um, and, and there are players in the Hall of Fame that I still think the game broke them. Um, did the game did the game take something from you that you can't reclaim? Uh, yeah, I would say so. It, it, the game's been, you know, has gifted me with so much for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has given me so much. But, um, you know, again, being gone um, as much as, as a golfer is, I didn't, it was not like I played 30 events at all. I probably played mostly 23 or four or five, but uh, a year. Um, but, but being gone all the time, and then being, you know, so uh, focused when I came home, um, you know, I, I, I've told this story a few times. I picked my son up from school one day, my oldest son, he's now 24, but I picked him up from school uh, once and it was a beautiful day. And I just gotten home from a tournament or something and picked him up from school. And, you know, you want your kids to, plays golf right you know if you're a golfer you'd like to play golf so i said uh, you, you want to go to the golf course today and i said uh, no i was like no <laughs> beautiful day you know and and uh he goes dad i don't like golf and i was like you don't like golf and he goes no and i said really why and he said uh, because golf takes you from me mm. And, you know, and I was like, oh, God, that hurt. Um, you know, and it's like, Phew. I was gone all the time, you know, and I can, you know, about that time, uh, my ex-wife, but, you know, we lost a child in there. And, um, you know, I thought, what the hell am I doing out here? I'm gone all the time. Mm. Uh, um, you know, I, I need to be home. I, I you know, I, I, you know, I just... I just didn't like being, you know, I wasn't a good enough player. I was a good player. I was a good tour player, but I wasn't in the top 30. I certainly didn't, I couldn't afford a private jet then. Um, so I couldn't just zip home on a moment's notice. Um, and I, yeah, so yeah, I would like to, have, if I had to do all over again, I say this, my wife sometimes now will go, really, do you think that? And I was like, I had to do all over again. I'm not sure I played golf for a living. Mind you, I played professional golf. I was on the tour for about 15 years. And I, I made good money and I didn't have any worries. And I was in the best place in the world, wonderful people, but I, I wasn't at home, uh, you know? And, and so if I had it to do over again, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I would choose a profession that required me to be gone all the time. Um, so yeah, from that aspect, it, 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 it took time away from my, my family, but the game at the same token, the game has given me a, a a wonderful life, uh, something to pursue every single day. Uh, you know, get up. I always have purpose, uh, and 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 that's hugely important and a gift. If you can find something in your life that animates you to action every single day, motivates you to get out of bed, gives you something to think about, that's a gift. And and you know, since I retired from golf, I'm home a whole lot more. Yeah, and and. You know, I, I get to be around people, but the game still gives 
me that joy. I, I'm still interested in studying the game, reading about the game, talking about the game. And I am, you know, I have a, a wonderful sense of purpose in that regard. And the game's giving me that. The game's giving me this wonderful connection with my wife. My wife loves golf more than I do. <laughs> Uh, you know, she, she, if I went in there right now and said, you want to go play nine? We got to catch a fly this afternoon. She'd be like, yeah, let's do it. You know? Uh, and I, it, we have the most wonderful time playing golf together. My oldest son now at 24, uh, loves golf and out of nowhere, he just, it, it, you know, if I call him and say, let's go play, he's all in on it. Uh, so my wife, and my oldest son and I will go out and play golf. And I look around sometimes, I just gotta pinch myself. You know, it's like, how could you spend better time than that with your family? You know, you're, you're outside, you're doing something that's fun. You're reveling in the achievements of people and sharing their woes. And, um, you know, golf is a wonderful gift. It, it has been great to me in so many ways. Um, you know, so it's it's hard for me to, to, to really say that uh, I, I regret it, but part of me does. Sure. You know, having spent so much time gone. You know, Kevin Kisner said to me, and I've just got a couple more things and we'll wrap it up, is, is you know, I was asking him about DeChambeau, and I said, do you think he's, he's a, a revolutionary type player? He said, absolutely. He said, but give him my kids for a couple months. Um, and, and meaning, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, fun, it's, it's fun to run out there and try to, you know, run that, that club head speed and that ball speed up to 200 miles an hour, um, go home and carpool, um, and, and, you know, have a, a crappy night's sleep, um, and, and have him do that for a season and let me see where his ball speed is. So his point is, I mean, you know. I think that Bryson is, he's manic. I mean, he's, he, he's yeah. totally lost in the pursuit of doing it his way. And I think it's fascinating, but how sustainable is it in your mind? Well, first of all, I agree with, with Kisner. I was <laughs> once, uh, I was somewhere and I played golf with Estes, Bob Estes. And he first came out, he chipped in like three times and every chip was like this close. And someone asked me why, Bob Estes was so good at chipping. And I said, because he's single. <laughs> because he can chip till dark every single night. There's not somebody going, hey, tick, tick, uh, tick tock. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you look at the best chippers at the time. It was like Justin Leonard, Jose Murillo, Bobble, Bob Estes. I was like, they're all single. I was like, they're all single. They chip till dark every night. Um, <laughs> You know, Bob, uh, Bryson Shambo is single. He didn't have a girlfriend go, come what are you doing? You know, it's like, uh, are you going to hit balls in the living room all day, every day? Uh, it's like, I love Bryson. I, I agree with kids. Um, you know, maybe not so much in this particular era, but you, you think about how many people, first of all, if we'll go back, how many people have literally changed the way golf is played? Yeah. Not change the game, because Arnold Palmer changed the game, and Bobby Jones changed the game. But, but I'm talking about changing the way it is played. I think Hogan did it because he made people prepare more. Uh, and and you, you could say that, that, that Tiger made the game more physical, uh, but very few players have ever changed the way it has been played. Bryson, I have no doubt that kids in college and high school and even younger, they're watching him, and they we know now and they're paying attention and they're going to cultivate more of these kids are going to come out with 
speeds approaching 130, seeding 130 miles an hour. And that's, that's going to be the Bryson effect. I never thought Bryson was going to change the game when he came out on tour with the move he had. Right. Like he was, he was fine. He was going to, he was 20th, 30th, 40th on the tour, but he didn't hit it farther. He didn't hit it straighter. He didn't hit it better. He hit it fine. And he was a very good player. I didn't think that move was going to change the game, but this move uh, will change the game. The, uh, the last thing I have for you is, is the architectural thing, because you have now uh, carved out some real passion and time uh, to the purpose and the pursuit of, of designing golf holes and, and partnering with somebody. Uh, you guys have a, have a particular mission. Um, what was it that, that, that kind of lit this match for you? Just another aspect of the game that I was asked about constantly and certainly peripherally interested in. Uh, and I thought, you know, why would I not try to get my arms around this? Mm -hmm. Why would I not dive in from an intellectual standpoint and learn as much as I, first of all, it informs me as uh, in relative to my job. I have to talk about golf and golf swing and often golf, golf course, golf courses, and, and sometimes golf course architecture, but to the extent that you know it, it's more relevant and it, I think more interesting. And I'm always looking for ways to share things with the audience uh, that are maybe not apparent to me, but that as they become apparent to me, I try to educate myself on them. So it's just another aspect of the game that I was intrigued by, but I had been, you know, talking as, as the debate has become more animated around the ball and the club and what to do about it and architecture. I've been in lots of debates with architects and I enjoy those debates and I always find them to be very bright people, uh, you know, incredibly smart people. Uh, and, I, and I've enjoyed those debates and I've differed with them. And so I started diving into architecture to figure out why did I differ with them? What about their philosophy uh, makes them generally all think and feel one way. And, and mostly they all want the ball to be rolled in and equipment to be reined in um, so as to preserve the integrity of golden age of architecture and to make it much easier to design shorter golf courses today and, and they'd be relevant. And I thought, well, let me just dive into architecture. And the more I did, the more I looked around, there was a fellow by the name of Augustine Pisa, I call him Augie, um, whose work I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed what he was doing in Mexico. He ran the first tee in Mexico. He was doing courses in South America for impoverished kids. He was doing them for free. And I looked at his courses and I loved his courses. And I had written about architecture a couple of different times about different ways that I thought you could combat the distance that the ball was going without necessarily changing the design of the golf course through setup. He reached out to me along those lines and he literally drew 18 holes with all the parameters that I had laid out in an article and said, do you like these holes? I'm using your idea. I like your ideas. And I, I think we can do something. So I started looking at his work and I thought, gosh, just, let's do it. Let's do some courses. And, you know, he's, he's got a great idea and I love, he's a very creative guy. And so we were in a project to do four, six hole loops in, uh, in Mexico, just outside of Monterey, calling it the butterfly effect. Uh, and within those four, six hole loops, there's 24 different configurations of golf courses that you can play. One of those six hole loops will be designed just for women, not just for women. I mean, but with women in mind. Yeah. And then that got us, uh, we have a project where 
it, it likely will be end up being five golf courses in South Texas, but one of them is a redesign and another one is a unique design. And I, I am endeavoring, we are endeavoring to build the first golf course for the very best professional women players, the same way that the TPC Sawgrass was built, not, not for recreational golfers, but for the very best professional golfers to get in their heads and to give them a great stage for dramatics. Uh, and, and the city council loved the idea. I've talked to different corporations that have loved the idea. Um, you know, so we are, we're, we're trying to make this happen. Uh, it's my goal, our goal to build a golf course with, uh, the dispersion rates, uh, you know, the trajectories, the spin rates, uh, but that's the, that's the science in it. And then with the same sort of artistic and utility that would go into any golf course, but to give them the best possible stage for dramatics, you think about it, what have been, let me ask you this. What is the equivalent shot on the LPGA to Bryson's drive on the sixth hole at Bay Hill this past year? What was the equivalent shot mm. to Bryson's drive on the fifth hole in, the, in the, the final match of the Ryder Cup? You may say Patty Tabatanikit's, you know, run at the ANA. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's that might be close. But to me, the most dramatic shot hit in, in ladies golf in the last couple of years was Jennifer Cupcho on the 13th hole in the Augusta National I'm Women's Center going head to head with Maria Fossey. Yep. Now that's that's in large part because of her talent, but in some way, some small part, due to the architecture of that golf hole, it encourages you and gives you a great stage for heroics. And because most golf, well, every golf course is designed for recreational golfers, but hardly ever with a woman in mind. The bunkers are in the wrong places. They're in the wrong depths. The turn points on par four or on dog legs are in the wrong spot. The layups on par fives are in the wrong spot. Green depths, fairway widths, rough heights. They're never, women are an afterthought. And I thought, no, 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 that's not right. We put bunkers in the right spot, the right depths, the right fairway heights, the right challenge. Give them the best possible stage for heroics and drama, and thrilling golf shots, and and I think that that can only be good. Well, it tickles me to say that you love to debate with them. You love to debate, but unlike John Feinstein, our friend who wants to arm wrestle you to relent to his position, uh, you you end people with eloquence. Uh, you always have, and you probably always will. Listen, I, I could talk to you, and and people could listen to you on on so many subjects in this game. I'll look forward to to doing it again, not necessarily with microphones uh, in front of us or on a Zoom call, but hopefully just spending some time. I wish you and Bailey uh, the happiest of holidays, my friend, and I look forward to seeing you in the new year. Gary, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate that. I, I've always had the greatest respect for uh, the way you do your job and just listening to you talk. So uh, happy holidays to you and your family. So good to catch up with you. Thank you, my friend. Really appreciate Brandel's thoughts. And again, I could talk to him truly for hours on so many different subjects, uh, but a lot of interesting stuff, certainly about Tiger, about himself and about the next chapter of his career. We really appreciate, as always, you for listening and watching this edition of the Five Clubs Conversation. We'll talk to you next time.